On behalf of Hospice of the Piedmont, welcome to the E-Series, an educational podcast aimed at engaging our community, exploring relevant topics, and educating about ways to connect with our organization. Funding for the E-Series is provided by the Dr. John A. Lusk Fund for Hospice and Palliative Care Education. My name is Ryan Biagini, and I am your host. Today we begin our next installment of the E-Series, titled The Intersection of Faith and Health. This collection of E-Series episodes will guide listeners through a conversation about how faith and spirituality often inform an individual's perspective of their own healthcare decisions and how they care for others. We will also explore different avenues that connect ideas of faith and health and how they are closely related. In this installment, join CEO Trent Cockrum as he welcomes Brooks Johnson, chaplain at High Point Medical Center, for a two-part episode where they thoughtfully discuss how intersections in the individual's life journey not only shape their story, but provide opportunities to engage hope, increase well-being, and overcome challenging outcomes. Brooks is a graduate of Wake Forest University School of Divinity and Virginia Theological Seminary. His passion for the care of all souls along life's journey was affirmed upon his first unit of clinical pastoral education at Wake Forest Baptist Health in 2007, where he also completed a year-long residency in 2010. He has been serving High Point Medical Center as a clinical chaplain since 2013. Let's listen in. Brooks, it's so great to be with you. Um, Let's start. You know, I've got a lot of ground I want to cover today um, and a lot of things we want to talk about. But tell us a little bit about your work as a chaplain um, in a hospital setting and what is that like and what units do you primarily work in? Yeah, Trent, pleasure to be here, be with you again and have this conversation. Thank you for the opportunity, especially the E-Series is great. So I'm really honored to be a participant. Um, My work here at High Point Medical Center as a chaplain is something that I really feel compelled to do. It's really exciting still after this time uh, to come to a place where every day I have no idea what I'm going to walk into. Conversely, it's also frightening to know that every day I have no idea what I'm going to walk into. So in that way, I really believe that my presence here so much is about being a way maker really being an advocate for people. That includes what most people commonly think of when they think of a chaplain. I'm here to serve patients and their loved ones, their family members, those who they consider their family. But also I'm very much here to spend time and care for staff. And I am a strong believer in my course of time here that if we wish to provide exceptional care to those who are here, then we must really learn how to truly care for ourselves and for one another as staff. So it's an honor to do that. And of course, in between all of that are the things that are, if you will, more formal, such as uh, doing advanced care planning, having discussions about the value and importance in a healthcare power of attorney, or a living will, as well as an introduction of what palliative care actually is and its functionality and how it supports a patient in their journey here in the hospital, but hopefully 
when they depart this hospital. Uh, it also could be more of those traditional things that people guess, sort of uh, doing blessings uh, on the occasion of blessing a new newborn baby, um, but also perhaps anointing the sick in a, a challenging time, um, doing similar things like that for staff. So one of the things that I really love to do is uh, what we call here and what's kind of universally as a chaplain called blessing of hands, mm -hmm. where we anoint staff's hands with holy oil. Uh, so there's a whole range of things that I participate in is really what I like to say. Sometimes I facilitate, but what I love is that it's a reciprocal thing. It's all about us making that way together. Sure. Um, to answer your question, as far as care areas, if you will, my primary care areas right now are our ICU unit, um, our inpatient rehabilitation unit. Um, I serve a floor that is really what we refer to as medical beds. Um, I also serve our inpatient psychiatric unit. Um, but, you know, we are a 350-bed hospital, and, you know, my partner and I, we pretty much go where the needs present themselves on any given day. Right. No, I can appreciate that. You know, Brooks, you, you touched on a couple things. You talked about waymaking, which I know we're going to talk about. I want to be able to talk about that. But you also mentioned a couple things just in that brief introduction. Um, blessings and anointments or things, anointings that you that you made specific reference to. And we we oftentimes sort of lump um, spirituality, because that's really what we're talking about today, and religion together. But are they the same? You're right, Brent, Trent, we do that. And uh, no, they are not the same. Uh, it A lot of times, uh, a good example of when that comes up is in particular in our inpatient psychiatric unit. So once a week, I'm really honored to go over there and lead what I intentionally call spirituality support group. Of course, I introduce myself as the chaplain who serves the hospital. And sometimes, depending on the look I get from the group participants, I may even ask, you know, do you know, are you clear as to what a chaplain is? And oftentimes, thematically, what occurs in that setting is people talking about spirituality and religion. Are they similar? Are they different? Uh, well, I'm a spiritual person, but, you know, I don't know religion. Um, and so oftentimes I'll spend a portion, if not the whole group, kind of unpacking that for folks. And so simply put, I am a big believer, especially in my journey as a chaplain, that we are all a fabric of our being just as much as, you know, our DNA, our blood flow, our skin. We are all spiritual beings. Mm -hmm. When we are brought into this world, we don't get to choose things like, our parents or where we were born, so on and so forth. But the evolution of our lives, we begin, as everyone does, to gain some independence. Um, and perhaps we become in touch through our experiences with that spirituality. On the other hand, a way to get in touch with that part of our spirituality is through organized religion, mm -hmm. which I, I kind of explain to people, uh, hopefully in a non-threatening way, it's just a structured way that we have tried to put names to God and give some structure to the concept and idea of God or a higher power. Sure. And, you know, within that structure, of course, there are rules and rules ideologically are intended to um, 
offer a pathway, hopefully a, a good pathway. But sometimes those rules, you know, can be, um, you know, a, a stumbling block or a barrier sometimes. And uh, I think that the two, spirituality and religion, they, when they work well, they hold hands and they are companions that really can offer a great foundation. Sure. That makes complete sense. You know, so I suspect in your role, you're, you are working with many people at many different phases of life. You talked about uh, a blessing of a blessings of a new, of a new, uh, of a new baby. Um, which is an incredibly joyous moment. And then you mentioned your work in the ICU, which I imagine is very different, um, perhaps equally rewarding, but very different because perhaps the conversation is a little different. Um, and so as it relates to sort of the spiritual intersection between, you know, these two sort of momentous occasions in life, can you sort of draw on and compare and contrast sort of what those conversations might actually be like in a spiritual context? Sure. Yeah, that's a, a great question. I, I would even say a great acknowledgement of what I hear, Trent, and you asked in that is one of the things that I know for sure is we are all on a journey at different stages of our own journey. Right. And one of the things, again, that I'm compelled in my job is those intersections where our journeys kind of uh, meet, sometimes collide in traumatic circumstances, right. but nonetheless they meet. And it's in those intersections where we all have an opportunity to kind of think about who we are, who we are as individuals, what is our nature, what gives meaning to us. So with a newborn, there are really not a lot of conversations with that newborn, but of course the conversations are with the parents sure. and with those parents thinking about this new life that is literally a miracle and how we celebrate that as an opportunity, not just for that newborn baby, but for ourselves to think about who we are, our ability to literally bring new life into the world and then contribute to that life, to the formation of that person is a, a wonderfully, can be a wonderfully rich conversation. Uh, down the road at different stages of life, so for example, as you mentioned in the ICU, oftentimes because people are typically in an ICU due to the medical crisis that they're experiencing, there is a forced opportunity to talk about and reflect on one's journey to that point and maybe do some inventory of, you know, what is it that perhaps I regret? What is it that I wish I did that I never took advantage of an opportunity to do? Um, and, and who truly am I authentically? Um, and, you know, maybe down the road a little bit, uh, sometimes, you know, in a, just a general medical unit or even in a rehab facility, like the one that we have here where people, it's roughly, you know, a week to a two week stay in our inpatient rehab facility. So those scenarios uh, with patients offer an opportunity to, you know, look back on life, to think about all that a person may have accomplished through work or rearing children, or they're at a place where they're working through that physical rehab, 
but they perhaps through sharing their story with me, they haven't worked through the emotional rehab of the loss of their, you know, partner of 50 years. Sure. Um, and so, you know, the commonality in all of that are these intersections on our journeys and that I believe we, we all, like we all are a spiritual being, we all have a story. Sure. And so what I hear you talking about there is something that you talked about um, as we first began this conversation, which is really about finding, finding yourself as a way maker. Um, and, and, and you're trying, I suspect it, and you tell me, it, it sounds as though um, you are as much of, of a catalyst for this exploration, for being the catalyst to helping this individual find this, find this way, this exploratory way um, for that moment that they, that they find themselves with you in the hospital, realizing that that's a defined period of time. It has a definitive beginning and it has a definitive end. Um, and so I guess part of your goal is to help inspire them to continue this way-making journey when they leave the hospital. Is that fair? Yeah, it is fair, Trent. I like the way you put it because I, I always want people to be hopeful. Um, I always want people to leave with some capacity in their heart and soul that there is hope for a new version of who they were fully created to be. Mm. And in that way, um, you know, what does it mean for me as a chaplain here in this medical setting, as a waymaker, to be an advocate, an advocate for that patient to discover a better, perhaps deeper, perhaps new sense of who they really are. Mm -hmm. So, you know, people here in the medical center, uh, a lot of people have heard the phrase and it's been used in promotional material, you know, patients are not just their gown, mm -hmm. right? Um, you know, right. they're, they're not just relegated to the backless gown. Um, they are a full story, right? And so they are a, a person that within that story, again, they have their longings, they have their successes, their failures. And so regardless of what diagnosis they may have, why they may be here, that I hope always doesn't limit them to see themselves perhaps in a new way with a new opportunity. Mm -hmm. And so I'm driven to really, uh, I, I think I'm positive by nature and I wanna really share that positivity with the people that I encounter. Sure. It's easy to say they're naturally here and they're dealing with some type of crisis or trauma. And that is true, but, and, and I don't, I don't wanna diminish that. I want to acknowledge that in the fullest way possible to sit with people and literally cry if that is what bubbles to the surface. Sure. But I think that it's in that acknowledgement that then people can, like I said, discover that capacity within that they really do still have for some, for some hope. Sure. You know, something you just said really resonated with me, which is to help the individual become or realize who they were fully realize who they were fully created to be. Um, and which gives rise to this concept of sort of, individual wholeness, I think. Right. Yes. Um, and, um, you know, I, I would, I would suspect that this notion of full person wholeness, right. Um, being truly who you are, who you were fully created to be 
finding your way in these next few um, in these next few circumstances in your life, whatever they may be, plays an integral role in the way that not only the patient interacts with their care team, but also with their family and has an impact probably too on the subsequent decisions that they may make related to their ongoing health. Is that fair? I believe that is not only fair, but that is what we're working towards. I do not believe for a second that someone, let's say they're, you know, in their early sixties and they have a medical crisis, um, you know, what they face ahead of them, let's say with a diagnosis, the medical team, their job is to address those medical needs in particular and to offer pathways to healing in that physical sense through medicinal therapies, through pharmaceutical therapies, through rehabilitative therapies. But my job, I believe, is to help that individual recognize that regardless of what happened the 60 plus years leading up to that particular time and place, they still have an opportunity for new growth, for new discovery mm -hmm. along the lines of who were they fully created to be. And that's, that's going to be hard. I'm not saying that that's easy, but I want to introduce them to that as, a, as an opportunity to recognize that they have every much an opportunity and even a right to discover something new about themselves. Uh, you know, through my education with, um, you know, in my studies um, for my master's of divinity, all of the work that I've done formally in education around religion, that sort of pastoral care chaplaincy theme has been, you know, very deeply woven into my study and my work and so in a more, if you will, religious sense, I believe that formation happens from birth to death. So it doesn't end with high school or college or those who are fortunate enough to have advanced degrees. Even if you have no degrees or a high school diploma, formation is about how do we make meaning of the experiences that we have had so that we are informed about being the most full representation of who we are, you know, being our best selves. Sure, I totally agree. Being the authentic person that you were meant to be, right? You know, when when you talk, um, as you were just talking, um, it, another thought really um, occurred to me. You talked a little bit about hope, um, and I suspect hope looks like different things at different stages in life. Yes, I, and and I think it would seem reasonable to believe that hope is an inextricable component of how we express ourselves spiritually or mm -hmm. part of our spiritual being. Right. Mm -hmm. And so when we layer that sort of that intangible construct, because we can't touch hope, maybe, maybe we can, I don't, I don't know that we can't, but, but we can't touch it. It's something that we know to be true within ourselves then how do we how do we balance this this notion of hope as it relates to a health crisis for example and what does that look like cuz oftentimes i hear just from my own past experiences in life i hear hope sort of interchanged with miracle 
right? Mm -hmm. and, and I'm not sure they're synonymous with one another. Um, I, I'm just interested in your thoughts on that. Yeah, well, I appreciate that inquiry because I think that, you know, I've already said I want everybody to have a capacity within themselves for hope, perhaps a new hope. Um, and, you know, perhaps in some ways that is the miracle. If they can capture that capacity for hope, the miracle there is regardless of what stage they're in in life, that they could see themselves through new lenses. Um, and so what I mean by that is, you know, take someone who perhaps uh, based on their medical condition, they must have a below the knee amputation. So they have literally lost an actual piece of themselves. And through their grief, they're going to be all kinds of things. For one, they may be particularly angry that they've lost this physical part of them that they will never walk in the same way that they walked all of their life. Yet I maintain that they can still be a whole person through dedicated work in recognizing that that loss could perhaps represent the loss of a lot of things, not just the body part, but perhaps, perhaps regrets, perhaps things that they wish they had done better or different. And so how can a, a refocusing help them to capture a new hope that even without this literal part of them, they can be a better, more full person. And from that place, contribute to the lives around them, their loved ones, their neighbors, their community. And, you know, that's the beauty of, I believe, being a spiritual being is that when you do that, it's reciprocated. And that's, sure. that's lovely. And, and I think what I hear you say is that hope is around us all the time. It's, it, I understand, you know, in your, in your example that you gave is someone who may have lost a limb, they begin to wonder, am I still a whole person? Did this define me? Right. But I think what you're saying is there's still hope around you and let, let's accept the, to use this more synonymous term, this miracle of life that is happening within you and, and exterior to you, but around you. Mm -hmm. um, let's embrace that for, for what it is and who you are mm -hmm. and, and who, and who you hope, I guess, to become right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And how you live your life. I think that's a powerful, I mean, that's a powerful statement because that means that the scientific sort of medicine has not taken anything away mm -hmm. because of the illness that you have or because of of the, the trajectory of the illness or your health circumstances in the future. Mm -hmm. I, I, think you've, I think you've just sort of really said that hope is a self-perpetuating consideration within the whole person. Mm -hmm. yeah. And I like what you said, and I agree with you. I think hope is all around us, but we have to wade through our challenges, our difficulties, our the veil that that in part we've created and other people have contributed to of, you know, pain and sadness, suffering and loss, um, disparities all around us. We have to, you know, wade through all that, pull up the veil and recognize 
in the people around us, in the opportunities around us, that we still have an opportunity to really shine. Um, it may look different. It may look a way that we've never even imagined. Right. And that's what the miracle is. When we right. make that connection, especially through one another, when we um, recognize our connectivity, that's, to me, that is uh, very powerful. Yeah, and this this concept of wholeness that we talk that we've talked about, um, that's a that's a universal consideration. Mm -hmm. um, it isn't just about someone with, uh, you know, a, who who ascribes to the um, the Jewish faith traditions or the Christian faith traditions or um, any other world widely accepted faith traditions spirituality and wholeness is a sort of a human uh, universally human consideration I yeah i, I couldn't agree more and i think you know we could also closely weave in that world that word love and and so in the formal study of religion there isn't a religion that i have studied or a practice that i have studied that is void of love mm -hmm. what does it mean to learn how to love ourselves and in part respect how we were created and from that place love others and sure. so in our ability to kind of take that on that really can um that really can kind of invoke healing mm -hmm. um perhaps healing not necessarily of a physical nature but healing of a of an emotional nature which can be just as fulfilling, if not much more fulfilling than that physical healing. You know, it, it strikes me as I think back on my almost 25 years or so in healthcare and having, you know, had lots of really interesting, oftentimes emotionally challenging conversations with patients and families alike. Um, I, I think about, you know, this uh, reality that not only is the world happening around us, but that people find themselves in difficult places at difficult times in their lives and they are making their way, um, they're making their way forward, right? They're finding their way. Um, but I'm also mindful of what I've seen in my career is that when when the physical well-being and the spiritual well-being, which includes emotional well-being, mm -hmm. when those align, we, we tend to see people feel better mm -hmm. because I think they feel as though, because I think it's true, that they're living better. Yes. I mean, I think that's in part of what we're talking about, too, is that consistent with what you may have experienced in your career or what you see as you take this sort of way-making journey with patients that you work with? Yeah, very much so, Trent. I think that you are pretty much spot on. It's, it is that wholeness. It is a sense of well-being that comes from a peace that one finds within themselves. So it's not being shall we say satisfied with a medical outcome so much as it's having a better understanding of their true nature of who they are with an ailment, with an illness, with the loss of a limb. Um, yet again, when, as you said, 
they threw people like myself, but also so many others around them when they recognize a, a piece, an emotional, mental piece uh, that can come from uh, a broader understanding of their own journey and how spirituality is woven into that, healing, I believe, does happen. A sense of balance is perhaps either restored or perhaps it's a new balance uh, that they may not have had before. And, um, you know, that is, boy, that is a good, that is a good salve for, um, for the ailments of life. Right. Sort of like chicken soup is good for the soul, right? Yeah, right. Um, exactly. Um, but, you know, I think what you're talking about um, in large part, too, is this notion of empowering people to find a way, which is right. something that we do a lot. I know in our own organization, but it's also that sense of empowerment helps to normalize the conversation, right. to let them know that they're not alone, to let them know that um, that there is an understanding around them right. um, of the people who, in this case, in the hospital are caring for them, their care team. But then that likely extends out, we hope, into the community in some meaningful way with their yeah. extended family, right? Right. Um, because I know a lot of people, when they find themselves in, in any sort of healthcare crisis, um, whether it's in the hospital or, or, or just in general crisis, they feel as though they are alone. Mm -hmm. But in reality, they're, we're never truly alone. Right. Yeah, I, I really like you saying that, because I'll often say, especially in our inpatient psych unit, you know, we were not created to be in a vacuum, you right. know, there are plenty of times where, you know, I'd love to take a break from life, take a break from family. Um, you know, as when I grew up, I was a big radio and music listener, you know, and I would think about what are my desert island discs and, you know, how I could uh, just be by myself. But e even right. if I could actually do that or afford to do that, I'd still have to come back. Right. right. I mean, you know, we, we need each other. We need not just our biological family, but we need our family of support. Uh, you know, I always ask every patient, wherever I am, what, tell me about your support system. What does mm -hmm. your support system look like? Mm -hmm. And I love the word support and support system because it is complicated. There are people mm -hmm. that love us and some of them may not even know really exactly how to show that love, mm -hmm. but uh, we need them. We need them in our lives. And, and that's the fabric of life. And, uh, you know, as you, you hit on such an important point, people in a medical crisis or um, like what you guys, I think, do so well at uh, in hospice is recognizing at the end of life, um, you know, death truly is a part of life. Mm -hmm. So how do we honor that place and time? And in that way, how do we welcome people to, again, have a, a deeper understanding of themselves. Mm -hmm. And so it, here in the hospital, in that medical crisis, right, they feel isolated. But of course, it's ironic because they've got all these specialists and nurses constantly coming in and out of their room. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, for, for those patients, I'm often interested in how can I help foster a sense of their well-being to 
really through is what I mean to say, slow them down and recognize that these people are caring for you. And so how does that happen when you're not here? Who are those people who care for you? Mm -hmm. Who are those people that you care for? And where are you um, motivated to do that for others? And, and again, how to use this setting as an educational opportunity, if you will, to recognize that it takes many parts. It takes many disciplines and specialties to achieve that, that wholeness. Thank you for joining us for part one of our discussion, The Intersection of Faith and Health in the Individual. Join us next time as we conclude this conversation with Trent and Brooks about how intersections in the individual's life journey shape their story and provide opportunities to increase well-being and overall challenging outcomes. Until then, I'm Ryan Biagini, and this has been the E-Series.